Hey, it's Michelle here. What if I told you that I had three science-backed secrets that are guaranteed to improve your energy? No more waking up feeling exhausted, no more brain fog, no more procrastinating, no more burnout. I'm talking about powerful habits that will give you an energy edge. No more relying on all that coffee, all that Coke Zero to get you through the day. I'm talking about learning how to create more energy from the inside out. I want to invite you to the Energy Upgrade, the free online masterclass that I'm hosting live on Tuesday, June 4th at 12 p.m. Eastern. I'm going to give you all the insider strategies to harness the power of your gut brain axis to create more energy from the inside out. I'm going to teach you how I'm able to have the energy to run a law firm, a coaching business, this podcast, pastor a church, and have energy for my family and my home life. I want to teach you all the secrets that I've dialed in around my gut health, nutrition, stress management, the nervous system, and lifestyle habits that are crucial for sustaining high energy and well-being so that we can get stuff done. Let's give you an energy upgrade. Click the link in the show notes to save your seat. It's time to elevate your energy, my friend. I'll see you there. I think as we're growing up, culture really drives this idea of the fairy tale relationship. It's the heart eyes and the butterflies and the happily ever after. There's a notion that when we meet the one, that that person's going to make us happy. Now, don't get me wrong. Jeff brings a ton of joy and happiness to my life, but I'm not dependent on him for my happiness. Him making me happy is not the purpose of my marriage. My happiness is up to me and me alone. Welcome back to the Motherhood Podcast, a live workshop-style podcast that is helping thousands of moms redefine their motherhood journey. There was a point in my life when I was trying to do all the things, parent my kids, pour into my marriage, run a busy law practice, keep up my home, And what I found was that I was on the fast track to burnout until I discovered a better way. Now I help women just like you to close the gap between their vision of motherhood and what they're actually experiencing in their day-to-day lives. Together, we'll explore when and where to simplify, systemize, and surrender. I promise you, you're already doing so much better than you think. I'm your coach, Michelle Grosser, and this is Motherhood. I am so excited for today's episode. We are going to switch gears a little bit and talk about marriage. So whether you're married or single, been married, divorced, dating, somewhere in between, the reality is that relationships are inevitable. And the quality of our lives is really measured by the quality of our relationships. So while I wrote this particular podcast episode with a focus on marriage, I think these principles actually apply to a lot of different types of relationships. Jeff and I have facilitated a premarital course, and we've coached a lot of young couples for years now. And through that process, we've learned and grown so much in our own marriage. It got me thinking, there's just so much I've gained in experience and wisdom that I really wish I'd known before I got married. Not only would it have saved me a lot of growing pain, and I think a lot of heartache in my marriage, but I think I would have just approached my marriage from a different paradigm. So I'm going to teach a little bit today. I'm going to encourage and challenge you a little bit today. Some of these points might hit a little closer 
to home than others. But uh, regardless, I think it's just some food for thought. So let's get at it. All right. So point number one, the first thing I wish I knew before I got married is that everyone enters relationships with unspoken expectations. These are things we're probably not even conscious of, right? But we've all seen relationships in our past. As we've grown up, these relationships have made an impression on us. So whether it's our parents or our grandparents, maybe it's extended family, aunts, uncles, marriages, friends, pop culture, social media, whatever, you know, whether we realize it or not, even before we got married, we had this idea in our minds of how marriage is supposed to be, how a husband is supposed to act and talk and the things he was supposed to do for his wife and his family to show them he cares for them and that he loves them. And the same is true for us, right? We had a vision and an expectation for how a wife is supposed to be. What's a wife supposed to do? How is she supposed to act? How is she supposed to dress? What she's supposed to say? And the catch is that if we're not cognizant of these expectations, there's no way we can express or communicate them. So what ends up happening is that when these unspoken expectations aren't met, and there will be plenty of times in marriage, especially early in marriage, when those expectations aren't met, we get disappointed and we get frustrated and we get upset. And it can create these problems because first, you know, we usually don't even know that we have these expectations. And then second, they're actually usually different than the expectations that our partner has. So they're not meeting our expectations without even knowing it. And here's an example for us, for Jeff and I. Um, I grew up in a small rural town, blue collar town in northern Maine. Potato farmers, people worked at a paper mill. Um, and that's just kind of how my dad is. And, and maybe some of you guys can relate, but he's the early bird gets the worm kind of guy, blue jeans and grease on his hands because the guy can just, you know, build or fix anything. We need a bathroom, like dad's the one who builds it. We need a car fixed, dad fix it. Something's jacked up with a toy or a bike or whatever it is, my dad just fixed it. He was always super handy. And my brothers are the same way. I have three brothers and they're the same way. So I had this unspoken expectation that husbands and dads just fix stuff, right? They just know how to do it. They install their own floors and they lay their own tile and they fix their own cars and they, you know, unclog their own plumbing or whatever it is. So when I came into my marriage with Jeff, I expected unconsciously that he would just be handy and he would fix stuff. And the jo- any of you that know Jeff, right, know that the joke was on me. Uh, Jeff's dad was a city guy. He was living in Chicago. You know, his parents were divorced, so he spent time with his dad on the weekends or if they traveled. But his dad wasn't really in the day-to-day life, right? And his dad was a corporate executive. He wore a suit every day. He lived in a high-rise. He played golf on the weekends and drank scotch and drove a shiny car. And in so many ways, our dads were just complete opposites. And Jeff's dad had so many talents and so many skills, but the guy never changed the oil in his car a day in his life. Like he had no interest in doing that, right? So that's what Jeff saw. And that that's where his um, paradigm was structured. And that's what became his unspoken expectation of how a husband and a dad act. Something breaks, you hire someone to fix it. Your lawn needs to be cut, you hire someone to cut it, right? So you can imagine the adjustment for both of us the first time, I don't know, our sink got clogged and Jeff's telling me he's going to call a plumber. I'm like, no freaking way. And I'm under the sink myself, taking the whole dang thing apart because 
I'm not going to hire someone to do something I can do myself. You know, that's what YouTube is for. And Jeff thinks it's a colossal waste of time for me to spend two hours tinkering with something he could have paid 50 bucks for and had solved in 10 minutes. And neither one of us is right. Neither one of us is wrong. That's not the point. The idea is that we just have hugely different expectations of our roles. And we had to work through a lot of those early in our relationship. So I think when you find yourself feeling triggered that your partner isn't doing something they, and I say this in air quotes, right, that they quote unquote should be doing, it's a moment where we can step back and we can ask ourselves, do I have some sort of expectation in this situation, right? Do I have some sort of idea that I've never even expressed to my partner and now I'm getting upset because they're not living it out? Maybe it's something strange that he does with the kids, right? And it's, you know, I don't get it. Maybe it's the way he does or doesn't do the laundry. Maybe it's a paradigm he has, or maybe it's a way that he deals with conflicts, whatever it is. But before you let it blow up, if you find that you have that unspoken expectation, talk to him about it. Tell him, you know, I've been thinking about it. And I've discovered that the reason it drives me crazy when you wash the light clothes with the dark clothes in the same load is because my mom was such a stickler about how she did the laundry growing up. And I just figured that everyone did it that way, right? What was laundry like in your house growing up? And it's really an opportunity to approach what could be something to fight about collaboratively and kind of just gain an understanding about where the other person's coming from. Maybe your husband's like, huh? So so interesting. I didn't even realize that. I can keep the whites and the dark separate. No worries. Or now that you've realized why it upsets you, you can decide if it's something that's super important to you to continue to harp on or if it's one of those things that you can just let go of and kind of surrender so you can conserve your energy for something more important. But it's just the realization and then the communication of that expectation that'll take you a long way. So number two, one of the second things or the second thing that I wish I knew before I got married is that the purpose of my marriage is not to make me happy. For me, this was one of the most powerful realizations I've had. And I think that the earlier we can catch this revelation, the better. I think as we're growing up, culture really drives this idea of the fairy tale relationship. It's the heart eyes and the butterflies and the happily ever after. There's a notion that when we meet the one, that that person's going to make us happy. Now, don't get me wrong. Jeff brings a ton of joy and happiness to my life, but I'm not dependent on him for my happiness. Him making me happy is not the purpose of my marriage. My happiness is up to me and me alone. You see, living a joyful life is something only I can decide and control. If I rely on Jeff for my happiness or anyone or anything else for that matter, that I'm only ever doing as well as things are going, right? Or as well as the people around me are doing. In our premarital course, I always use the analogy of being a thermometer or a thermostat. And you hear me say it often because I think it's really powerful, but we all know how our thermometer works, right? It just reads the temperature of its environment. So it has no control over setting that temperature. If it's hot, thermometer tells you it's hot. If it's cold, thermometer tells you it's cold it will adjust and adapt to read whatever temperature it's in. But a thermostat, on the other hand, that holds the power. The thermostat can decide 
and control what that temperature is. So too hot in here, everyone needs to cool off a bit. Thermostat can do that for you. Freezing in here, need a little comfortable warmth. Thermostat can do that. So we should all try to be the thermostat of our homes, of our relationships, right? I don't want to let my husband or my kids determine how I'm feeling. My kids are young and crazy. Their emotions are all over the place, right? If I'm only doing as well as they're doing, I'm going to be on an emotional roller coaster all day long. Instead, I want to be the thermostat. I want to control the environment in my home. I want to walk into a room, see and feel the things that are getting heated and be able to bring it back to normal temps. I want to be able to walk into a room that feels like there's a little bit of an icy edge there and be able to warm it up with a kind word or or a gentle touch. And this isn't easy. It isn't easy, friends. I know. I acknowledge that. It takes an awareness. It takes practice. It takes a ton of self-control. But I think just being aware of the control we possess to determine our own happiness, that's a great first step. And then continuing to work at it. And I don't get this right all the time. It's tough, right? And sometimes I'm going through my own stuff or I'm feeling sad or I'm feeling frustrated. But if I'm always looking to Jeff for my own happiness, I'm just going to be disappointed. It's not his job to ensure that I'm happy. It's mine. So if the purpose of marriage isn't to make us happy, then then what is it? What's the purpose? And I've been thinking a lot about this, and I really think the purpose of our marriage is to make us better. You guys know and realize how much power is in a strong, healthy marriage. I mean, man, a strong, healthy marriage, think about the impact it can have on a family, on a community, right? On generations to come. I mean, it's incredible. And our marriage is to push us to grow in our weaknesses, to stop giving into our desires, right? To be selfish or greedy or petty or snarky, all of the things we're tempted to be. But rather, instead, it's to push all of that aside and to consistently serve each other. I mean, when there's a deep respect in marriage, that type of selflessness, it becomes contagious. Jeff always talks about the fact that we're each other's number one ministry, right? It's my number one job to serve Jeff. And that can sound really weird and maybe even a little creepy. But what I mean by that is that I should always be looking for ways I can have his back, right? How can I make his life easier? How can I challenge him when I think he needs it? How can I encourage him when he's down? How can I speak life into him and build him up and be generous with my words and honor him? And it's kind of messed up that this is or it feels, or it sounds a little bit counterculture, but I've been coaching couples for a while now, and I've never seen a couple really struggling in their marriage or contemplating divorce when they're both focused on serving each other. So I want to encourage you, if you're feeling stuck in your marriage, if it's feeling a little stale or a little dry or a little blah, or maybe worse, maybe it feels pretty rotten, brainstorm some ways you can better serve your spouse this week. And maybe you're thinking right now, yeah, but Michelle, I already do everything. I'm always serving everyone. The problem is that he's not serving me. Well, maybe there's some truth there, but I would just caution you because maybe it feels like that, but there's likely more to it. And when you're doing all these things you think you're doing, right? When you're doing and serving all these ways that you think you're serving in your family, what's your attitude? What's your energy? Are you serving with a joyful heart? 
Are you serving from a posture of gratitude? When's the last time you told your husband you were grateful for him? When's the last time you left him a note encouraging him? When's the last time you bragged on him or planned something special just for the two of you? It takes a ton of maturity, right? It takes you being that bigger person. It takes a whole serving of humble pie, but it's a sacrifice that's a deposit into your marriage and it's a deposit that will pay off huge dividends. I can guarantee it. I've seen it over and over and over. So that's number two. And number three is that I wish before I got married, I understood how women and men communicate in different ways. And this one feels like a no duh, right? (laughs) But it's actually a lot more nuanced than I think we realize. I remember growing up, my mom always had this book uh, lying around. It was like men are from Mars, right? And women are from Venus. And it's just something that I thought I knew, right? We're just different. We think differently. We're wired differently. We communicate differently. And that's good, right? A team with the same strengths and weaknesses isn't that strong. So it's good that as men and as women, we're different. We can compliment and challenge each other because we're called to be united in our marriage. That doesn't mean we need to be uniform, but we're called to be united. And I think in some ways, this might be a generalization, but it's still helpful to keep in mind. So generally, when men communicate, they want the report. They don't want all the fluff. They don't need every detail. They're not interested in all the emotion. They want to get to the point and solve the problem. Men are all about the simplicity in communication. But women, us women, we generally want to build rapport, right? We want to explore the problem. We want to talk about the problem and compare it and analyze it from every angle. And the tone and the emotion behind our problem is super important to us. We want to be able to vent and have someone listen and connect without always jumping in right away with a brainstorm of solutions. We're just different. And I think if that had been clearer to me earlier in our marriage, it would have helped me understand, like, maybe I wouldn't have gotten offended or hurt if it felt like I was being dismissed because the way Jeff saw it, right, he was helping me. He was just trying to get to the point and and figure out a solution for me. And I didn't know how to recognize that and then communicate to him that that wasn't really what I needed in that moment. And I think sometimes we feel as women that we would just love to get our husbands to open up a bit, right? Maybe you just wish they would go a bit deeper, like let's break through the surface and I want to get into your head and I want to know what's going on up there. I want to hear all about your hopes and your dreams. And if you've ever felt that way, research has shown that men tend to open up during shared activities. So two of you could decide that you need some time together and you plan this morning where you go have coffee and you're just sitting there across from each other and it's kind of awkward dead air. Maybe you just find yourself staring at each other and you know trying not to reach for your phones or you're just making small talk. And I've been there and in those moments, I'm like, what is wrong with us? Like, especially early in our marriage, in my head, I'm like, why does it feel like we have nothing to talk about right now? Like, how is the rest of our marriage going to be? Enough with the small talk. Like, I don't want to discuss the Miami Heat's record right now. I want to have some good conversation. And it used to really frustrate me. And then when I discovered that by doing a shared activity together, that's where men are wired to really open up and communicate, it blew my mind, guys. Because instead of just sitting together at a restaurant or something, which, you know, we still do sometimes, but now if we go on a walk together or we tackle a home project together 
or we go and do something active together, those are the times where we have the best conversations. Those are the times where we go deep. And it's so interesting. So if you find that that's something that you're struggling with sometimes, give it a shot. Plan a a shared activity together and just watch them open up. And then finally, when we're talking about communicating differently, I think another powerful weapon in communicating better, uh, especially with Jeff and I, has been to learn each other's love languages. So if you guys haven't done it before, I'm going to put a link in the show notes to a website uh, you can go to. It's the five love languages.com. And there's a quiz there that you can each do. And essentially, based on your responses, it'll tell you how you prefer to receive love. So they've identified five different love languages. And we all usually have one or two that really stand out as a way we like to receive love. So for example, for example, Jeff really feels loved when I give him words of affirmation. So when I'm telling him how much I love him and how awesome he is and how good he looks, that's the kind of stuff that lights him up. And he also needs quality time with me. So time away from the kids and the tech and the distractions where he can have my undivided attention. That's super important to him. But our tendency is to want to give love the same way that we like to receive love. So if, for example, your love language is to receive gifts, right? If you feel really loved when someone brings you a tree or buys you something special, your tendency would be to do the same thing to them, right? To show them that you love them. But receiving gifts might not be their love language. Like for me, it's not, right? Jeff could get me no gifts for my birthday and I'm totally cool with that. And sometimes when he has gone in on big gifts, it it actually kind of makes me feel uncomfortable. But the way I like to receive love is through acts of service. So I feel super loved and I feel super cared for when Jeff makes me a cup of coffee or when he washes my car or fills the tank or feeds the kids breakfast while I'm working out. These are the kind of things that make me feel loved. And I can't expect for him to know this about me. This is something we've discovered as we've grown in our marriage. So learning each other's love languages and then giving love in the way that our partner likes to receive love, right? In the way that they feel loved instead of just projecting and reciprocating how we feel loved, that is a game changer. All right. And then finally, number four here, the fourth thing I wish I knew before I got married is seeking wise counsel, the importance of seeking wise counsel. And this is something I always kind of knew, like, like, of course, we want to get good advice about our marriage, right? I mean, no one ever goes out looking for bad advice. But I think it's something that we can actually be more intentional about. A while back, I got this piece of marriage advice. And it was so practical. And it was so powerful. And it was something I hadn't ever really considered. And the advice was this, take some time now to have a discussion with your partner about who you're going to go to for advice when you hit a rough patch or when you've had a fight or when you're really confused or concerned about something in your relationship. Because our relationships are so sacred, right? It's such a priority. And you wouldn't just take you know, parenting advice from your teenage cousin or you wouldn't take career advice from your friend that can't hold down a steady job and is miserable where she works. We have to be as discerning, if not more so, about who we're letting speak into our marriage. I've heard it said that you shouldn't take advice from anyone you wouldn't trade places with. And think about that. Don't take advice from anyone you wouldn't trade places with. It's so true. 
So with that in mind, I want to know who's speaking into my marriage. My marriage is too important to me to risk being given poor advice, right? Like I, if Jeff and I have a fight, I don't want him going to get advice from his buddy who's never been married. I don't want him getting advice from the bartender at the pizza place. So the idea is to have that conversation now, not when you're in the middle of a storm, but now when you're both cool and calm and have a discussion and decide, right? Who in our life has the green light to speak into our marriage when we need advice? Find a couple who's been married for decades, someone who has a healthy marriage, right? Someone whose marriage you respect, someone who has been through some real stuff with their spouse and they stayed committed and they made it through. Whatever it is that's important to you guys, find someone you agree on who's further along in the marriage journey than you are, who can speak into your marriage when you need it and agree on it, right? When I have advice, we've agreed I can go to our friends Esther and Blanca. Jeff can go to our friends Frank and Jesus. Like these are people in our life who have marriages we admire and we look up to. And I trust that they'll give us sound advice and it'll push us to see different perspectives and be the first to forgive and challenge us to grow better and closer. Make sense? And a final thought on this, I guess I would just encourage you to reconsider if right now you're thinking, oh yeah, but I have my parents, right? I can turn to or my sister or another really close family member. And it's not that these people can't give us great advice, right? Of course they can. But I think that sometime there's some value to having mentors speak into your marriage who are a little more removed, dare I say a little more objective. And you know your parents, you know your family, but truthfully think about it, you know, whether they might be a little biased when they give you some advice or whether you want to air all your dirty laundry to them. And then when you and your partner squashed it and move on, right, then your mom or your aunt or whoever still remembers. And maybe they're still making comments about it when it comes up at Thanksgiving, like you guys know. So maybe just a caveat, something something to think about. But there you have it. It's four things I wish I knew before I got married. There's a, a ton other. Maybe we'll have, you know, other parts, part two or part three to this episode. But these are four I just wanted to, to talk over with you guys today. Number one, I wish I had known that everyone enters relationships with unspoken expectations. Number two, that the purpose of my marriage is not to make me happy, right? That's up to me and me alone. Number three, that women and men just communicate in different ways and having a deeper understanding of that can really help protect myself from being offended and I'm just able to further encourage my partner in ways that we communicate. And then number four, we just discussed it, seeking wise counsel. So I hope this helps someone out there or at least just gave you all a little food for thought. Uh, But this is episode three, friends. We are just at the beginning of this ride and I would love your feedback. Like, what are you enjoying so far? What's been helpful? What do you want to hear more about? How can I serve you better? Be in touch, right? My contact info is in the show notes. Shoot me an email, send me a voice note, an IG, shoot me a DM. I would love to hear from you. If you love mommy's polygraph, leave a review. If you enjoyed this episode, it would be so awesome if you could take a moment to subscribe and rate the podcast. And if you have just a few more seconds to leave a quick review, they really help to get this podcast out to other moms like you. I read every last review and trust me, when it's late at night or early in the morning before my kids get up and I'm working on bringing you all of this content, your reviews are what keep me going. 
Leaving a review is truly the best way you can thank me. And of course, DM me on Instagram at themotherhood.podcast. I love to hear from you. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Motherhood Podcast. Head over to the show notes for this episode and all past episodes at michellegrosser.com where you'll find free resources, information on how to join and participate in the Motherhood Village, and more ways to connect with me. If you love the show, share it with a friend. Thanks again for tuning in. We'll see you next time. Oh,